Well, if you have your Bible, I want you to go to one primary passage. It's Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 13. If you have the Bible app on your phone, you can find us under the live event, Calvary Church, and you can find the scripture references and the notes, and you can make notes of your own. Um, Today, uh, we're continuing in a series called Real Revival. There's a real move of God that's happening in the earth. Come on, has anybody been experiencing that? It, it is not only what is happening on a university campus, it's happening around the world. There is a real move of God that is taking place right now. And I'm just going to say at Calvary Church, we're not going to miss out on it. We're not just going to read about a move of God in history books. We're going to be a part of a move of God and have it right here and, and continue to let God release real revival. Now listen to me. Real revival is not, just, is not just more meetings. Real revival leads to a movement. If a revival is a revolution, revolutions lead to movements. And we're living in the days where another Jesus movement is beginning. Where God is calling people in from the north, south, and east, and west. He's bringing people into his kingdom. This is what he's doing in this hour. And so I want to say to you, church, we're not going to be a people who simply said, oh, wow, I went to some of those meetings. No, we're going to say, God, come, and I want such an encounter with you that I partner with you in in revival. So uh, we talked about last week uh, that there was a a message called uh, Real Fishermen. And if you didn't get that, uh, get to listen to that message, please go and and listen to that. Hey, do me a favor and just bring up these house lights just a little bit today. Uh, Because I want to look some people in the eyes. I don't know. Maybe there's somebody back there who can help me out with that. Um, We we talked about becoming real fishermen. And that is that we're we're real fishers of men. Today, I want to talk to you about, in this Real Revival series that we are real influencers. Now, I got to tell you, when I said the word influencers in first service, most of the people my age and older had no idea what I was about to say. But almost all of the young people in here understand that when I say the word influencer, It comes with a cultural definition. Now, I want to share with you the top 10 list of influencers from culture on Instagram. You ready for this? All right, first one, Kendall Jenner. I'm glad that some of you said who. That's 10. Nine, Khloe Kardashian. Eight, Beyonce. Please don't groan, by the way. These are people Jesus died for. He loves them, wants to reach them and deliver them from what? The demon that comes on them when they perform on the stage. Or on their OnlyFans. It's demonic. And if you know what OnlyFans is, and if you happen to be going to OnlyFans, that is demonic. I bless you with that. All right. Beyonce, number eight. Number seven, Kim Kardashian. 
Ariana Grande. Number five, the first man makes the list, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Then Selena Gomez. After that, yeah, don't. <laughs> then Kylie Jenner. You notice all these influencers, like most of them are from, from the same family? Now, it's not until this point that I know anything about these people. I really don't. Now, number two and number one influencer, I do. Number, the number two influencer on Instagram is the greatest soccer player to ever walk the planet. His name's Lionel Messi. Greatest soccer player ever. The number one influencer is the guy who thinks he's the number one soccer player in the world, Cristiano Ronaldo. We're, you guys are American. You're like, who? <laughs> These people are, are more widely known than anybody on the planet. Some, uh, I, I think Cristiano Ronaldo, over 600,000 followers. They call him, they call him a, a mega influencer, which refers to how much cash you would have to bring to the table if you wanted him to post about anything you were supporting. Now, there's another guy who isn't as big on Instagram, but it's probably the largest influencer in the world that most everybody doesn't know his name, but knows his title, Mr. Beast. See, and all the, all the, all the older people, who? And, and, and somebody in the name, some of you older folks, is like, oh, he must be demonic. Well, he's actually a guy who took the principle of radical generosity and turned it into a video empire. He, gave away, he gives away more than, I, I think, anybody else. And these people are influencers in our day. Now, what I would like to submit to you from the very beginning of this sermon, they are influencers. They're just, many of them, as far as I know, they're not real influencers. God says who the real influences are. And the real influencers on this planet is the church of the living God. The followers of Jesus Christ are real influencers. We are called to be real influencers. Now listen to me. Influence is measured by followers and engagements. And if Jesus says you're, the, you're a real influencer, you know what you ought to have? You ought to have followers that are following you as you follow Christ, and you ought to have all kinds of engagements with people who don't know Christ. Oh, I'm going to help some people today. Are you ready? Now, this isn't in the message. God dropped this in my spirit that I have to give this to you before I, I, I give you the points. I actually only have two points today, which 
is not associated with the length of this message at all. So listen to what this says in John chapter 15. These are the words of Jesus. He said, if you abide in me and my words, listen to this, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Maybe another way of saying that is that you have a lot of influence for the kingdom of God. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Here's what I want to tell you before I get to any points from which Jesus, uh, 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 that Jesus uttered from the Sermon on the Mount. Here it is. He said, if you allow my words to abide in you, you will be turned into made into a person of influence for the kingdom of God. But what we have to do is we have to make room for his word. We've got to make room for what he says. I love what John does. John, in his explanation of Jesus, you know, the, 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 the first three words of the gospel of John are this. In the beginning. Why? Because he is connecting the eternal message of Jesus to the eternal work of creation. I'm going to take you into deep waters, then it's going to be, then I'm going to pull you right back up so everybody can understand this. John attached Jesus to the work of creation. So listen to me. When Jesus speaks something about you, it's not so he can convince you mentally. He is giving you a word that will produce in you, create in you what he has declared over you if you could receive it. When he speaks it into you, just like in Genesis 1 when he said, let there be light, there was no decision to be made. All of the expanse suddenly made room for light. And church of the living God, I believe if we're going to become real influencers, it starts by making room for who Jesus said you were, not how you feel about yourself. Now, with that as the backdrop, let's look at Matthew chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 13. Now, suddenly, you may have to receive these words in a new light. As a platform for creation of you following God. These words are powerful and true, uttered from Jesus himself. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I want to, want to begin today by making this point, and I'm going to make it the way that Jesus made it. Each point 
being a prophetic declaration over you personally. This is the way Jesus said it. He said this, point one, you are salt. You are salt. Now, this is, a, this is kind of a strange idea for us in the modern world. We're just used to having salt on our tables. We're just, we, we got to cook with it. We don't use it the way the ancient world used it. So we don't really have an understanding of it. And we certainly don't understand salt throughout the Bible. So salt here is symbolic of something. And in order to understand what it's symbolic of, you need to go back and find salt in the Old Testament. You, you, you can see it symbolizing something. And I want to take you to the time when sacrifices and offerings were being, being made to the Lord. And I want you to note the role of salt in these offerings. Leviticus 2.13, it says, And every offering of your grain, a grain offering, and every offering of your grain offering, you shall, listen to this, season with salt. You shall not allow the, listen to these words, the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. And with all your offerings, you shall offer salt. So he's saying, don't just bring the grain. Don't just, don't just bring this. Because by the way, all of these Old Testament offerings are pointing toward a New Testament reality. He says, these offerings must be accompanied with salt. He calls it the salt of the covenant. And if you read from Numbers 18, 19, you understand a little deeper about the salt of the covenant. He says, of all the heave offerings of holy things, which the children of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance, notice this word, forever. It's the covenant of salt forever before the Lord, uh, before the Lord with you and your descendants with you. So what is, what do you start to notice about salt and the offerings? It's that it is continuous. Let me say it to you another way. Salt symbolizes eternity. Why? Because when all of the offering, offerings were fulfilled in Christ, they're all fulfilled in him, he gives us eternal life. That is what is produced. And the reason why that there was salt in the Old Testament is because it was preserving in nature. It was preserving in nature. They would add it there, and it was God saying, listen, these offerings, this devotion to God, it is preserving in nature. It's leading to something not just temporarily preserving, but something that is eternally preserving. Now, listen, I, I don't have time to go into it, but two times in Psalms and once in Proverbs, the scripture says this, 
the Lord preserves the souls of the saints. Man, that ought to make you want to shout. Aren't you glad you're not in charge of preserving your soul? You ought to know that, that God himself is preserving your soul. And it's, he's preserving it with this heart of eternity for you. I got to tell you, when I got born again, I'm not waiting on eternal life. I have eternal life. When you got born again of God's spirit, you now possess eternal life. It's the salt of the covenant. It's symbolic of eternity, and it's preserving nature. Now, here's where Jesus turns the corner on us. We can get really excited about Jesus' preserving work in us. But do you embrace as the church God's preserving work through you? Jesus said it this way. He said, you are the salt of the earth. There is a preserving work that when your life is an influence for the kingdom of God, it preserves your neighborhood, it preserves your church, it'll preserve your county, your state. Listen, it'll preserve the nation. I'm going to say this to you boldly, church. If this nation goes down, it will go down because the church decided I do not receive this word from Jesus that I am salt. Church, we're not here to bury our heads in the sand and wait on end times. You're in the end times. We've been in end times for 2,000 years. You know what you're called to do? You're called to bring the preserving eternal work of God into the school board, into the school on every campus, in every hospital. You're called to be the preserving work of God in this community, and you are called to push back those. Listen, how well have we done since we removed prayer from schools? How well have we done as a nation since we pulled the Ten Commandments down off of the walls of courthouses? We now no longer know the difference between right and wrong. We can't even tell what is a man and what is a woman. We're completely lost, but here's the good, here's the good news. Prayer's not in schools, but Christians are. Hello? And I'm not just talking about the students, teachers. I'm talking about everybody involved. You say, I may lose my job. Oh, but wouldn't it be worth it? If you created a movement for God, glory to God. I'm not telling you to do something unwise. I'm telling you to be bold and be salt. And there's a preserving work that we need to be released. Now, the church is, listen to me, preserving our society. And we have to embrace this role that we are responsible to push back the decay. You gotta be a voice. You can't hide any longer. 
You got to be an influence for Christ. Now, in addition to this preserving work, which is amazing, salt makes things taste good. Salt makes things taste good. How many of you know a lot of people in our culture, in our world, in our nation, have tasted religion and said, if that's God, that tastes horrible. I'm walking away from that. But God says, you're salt. Your life and walk and intimacy with God ought to cause others to thirst for him. It ought to taste so good. You're like, man, let me just say it to you in a bold way. You can make God taste good to somebody. Or not. (laughs) Write this down. Deep theological thought. Don't be a chicken gizzard for Jesus. (laughs) It doesn't taste good. You know what you need to be? Salt. Back in 2004, I took a group of teenagers, the youngest of which is 13, and spent 19 days on the Amazon uh, River. And um, we went uh, from the main city, which is called uh, Manaus, traveled 24 hours um, kind of down the Amazon to a little place called Mawes, and then to farther villages called uh, the Satare Mawes Indian Villages. It's illegal to go and preach the gospel directly in the villages, but there are some Indians who've wandered over to some of the church plants who got one. We went to a Satare Mawes Indian base on YWAM, a YWAM base, and met up with them, And the first day we got there, they took us on a hunt. And we go out in the Amazon jungle, and they shoot something that looked like a giant pig. Wasn't a pig, but it was pretty close. Took it back to the camp, and they were cooking the pig. I'll never forget one of the the girls who was with us. She was in tears. Her name was Kelly, because she didn't like pork. And I was like, she was like, Pastor Honor, I know we're supposed to eat what's set before us, but I can't. You know what I said? I'm like, this is like Sonny's in the Amazon, past the salt. <laughs> it was actually delicious. Now, on the last day we were at that village, they took us out on a monkey hunt, and it was successful for them. Never forget, they shoot this monkey, comes toppling out of this tree. No, no. For them, it was like, yes, because they were going to get to eat, and they wanted to share it with us. So when... They shot the monkey. I'm back with the leaders going, y'all get that boat cranked up now. (laughs) They skinned the monkey. I never forget, they give 
a big portion of this leg of the monkey to the guy who does it. And I looked at the, the muscle. It was purple. But what they would do is they take that and they would totally preserve it in salt. And they said, oh, won't you stay to eat the monkey with us? God has blessed us with the monkey. And we're like, we're so sorry. <laughs> but we got to be on our way. Enjoy the bounty of that spider monkey. We're so glad I didn't have to eat the monkey that day. But I say that because salt is supposed to make things taste better. And that's why we said last week, Psalm 34, verse 8, makes a big difference when you choose to be a real influence. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And we as the church have to take on his nature. Now, Matthew 5, though, Jesus says something very profound about the salt, right? Because he says, you are the salt of the world. But then he says the opposite. Here's the warning. But if salt loses its, what, flavor, probably in your, in the modern, more modern version, if you have King James, it uses the word savor. Flavor is actually a, just a more modern understanding of that word. Loses its savor. He it says it's good for nothing, and that salt then is cast out and trampled underfoot. Why did he say that? Well, first, contaminated salt would be thrown on the streets. And here's the only thing that salt was good for, for killing everything that was trying to grow in the street. That's why it would be trampled underfoot. So when they had bad salt, they would spread it on the street and it would kill all the grass, and the road could be made smooth. No weeds. But there's a warning. It says if the salt loses its flavor. That, that loses its flavor, that's three words in English for really one word in Greek. Now, this one word of loses its favor, flavor uh, is... It's repeated twice in the New Testament, Jesus in this verse. But then it's in two other times, and it's translated like almost directly from its meaning. The word in Greek is morano. It's the word from which we get the English word moron. The definition of Murano is this. It's two words. Because Murano is technically a compound word in the Greek. Here's what it means. Become foolish. Let me help you to understand this. If salt becomes foolish, it's no longer useful. except to just be thrown out, kill a few weeds. Becomes foolish. Now, if you 
do a study about the word fool or foolish, it is connected over and over again, listen church, to not doing what God has said to do. Foolishness is directly connected to disobedience. All right. Can we be a big church today and handle the truth of God? All of us understand that we're all called to preach the gospel. Foolishness is agreeing with that and never preaching the gospel to people. And salt loses its savor. It becomes foolish. Listen, uh, this is where it's directly translated. Romans 1, 21 and 22, it says, Because although they knew God... They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but become futile in their thoughts. Their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise. And here's the word Morano. They became fools. Did you know that you deceive yourself when you agree with the teaching and you don't live the teaching? You can't just say, wow, I agree with that but I'm not going to enter into it. You are like salt. This is what Jesus was talking about. The preserving eternal work of your life, it becomes useless in the kingdom of God. That's what this is saying. And here, if you will understand this, this isn't about something we do. This is a truth you can become if you'll make room for what Jesus has said about you. He looks you in the eye, every man, woman, and child, and says, you are salt. You are meant for this preserving eternal work. You are meant to have this kind of influence. Well, if salt can lose its savor and get and get contaminated, how does salt stay pure? Well, you just got to understand this from the world, just in the natural. Now, there's all kinds of places of salt, but primarily when people harvest salt, it's right up next to a rock bed, right next to the rock. And what the rock does is when it rains, the water goes from the rock and washes the salt and purifies it. All my Bible scholars in here, you want to know how? To keep your effectiveness as the salt of the world? Get tucked right up under the rock, which is Christ Jesus. Live in intimacy with Jesus and let the washing of the water of the word purify you. Let this word control the way you think, control the way that you live your life. Let this word be the highest authority. And what happens? I then will take on the identity that Christ has said, I'm the light and I, am, I, am, I have a part in this preserving eternal work that is the church. You'll have that kind of influence. Now next, it says, your light. Your light. Now, I know that when we read this from Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you're the light of the world. But if you if you've read your Bible at all, you read the gospel of John, you will understand that a lot of people in the church have problems with me as a pastor declaring over you, you're the light of the world. Like, no, no, no. Jesus is the light of the world. All right. Now I want to take you on a journey through the gospel of John. 
I'm going to take you on a journey. We're just going to walk through a few chapters so you can understand why you're the light of the world. John 8, 12, then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So in this, who is the light of the world? It is Jesus, right? So here, clearly, the light of the world is Jesus. And right now you're saying, see, I'm right. Jesus is the light of the world. Hang on. John 9, 5 says this. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. This is what Jesus said. As long as I am walking on this planet, I'm the light of the world. Now, I'm about to take you to John chapter 12, and John 12 in the Gospel of John, is where Jesus starts to turn the corner with his disciples. He really needs to explain to them the, what is about to happen, that he's about to go to the cross, he's about to be betrayed. John, John, uh, you know, John 12 really turns the corner. John 13, he, he washes their feet. John 14, 15, and 16 is the conversation they have there in the upper room at the Last Supper. John 17, the prayer he prays in the garden. John 18 and 19, the betrayal and, and crucifixion. John 20, the resurrection and the presentation to the gospel uh, the, to the disciples the first time. John 21, Jesus appearing eight days later. So this is all him getting them ready for what they're about to go through, and notice the revelation that comes from this moment. John 12, 35, it says, and then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. Listen to these words. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become Sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Jesus incarnate is no longer on the earth. What happened? On, uh, uh, he uh, uh, ascended 40 days after Passover. 40 days after he ascends to heaven. Where is Jesus now? He is at the right hand of the Father, forever making intercession. He said, while I am here, I'm the light of the world. He said, when I leave, those who believe in me, they will be the light of the world. I'm going to give you a little Bible quiz. All of you have no more Bible than you think. The church is called... The body of, oh, wow, you guys are amazing. <laughs> See, you already know this. If Jesus is the light of the world and you're the body of Christ, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. This is why I want every single one of you to go to blesseveryhome.com and sign up to be a light in your neighborhood. This is why we're doing this. You should, it, it, it's not, it, it, by the way, this isn't like uh, like some get rich quick scheme. We're not making any money from this. You know what we're doing? We're covering our neighborhoods and our neighbors in prayer by name. 
All of their names will populate. There'll even be a prayer given to you. You need to sign up and do this. And, and, and the prayers go something like this. God, give me the, the wonderful opportunity to be salt and light to my neighbor. You can actually sign up to be a light. So if somebody else comes along and it says, man, I need answers in my neighborhood. And they hear about bless every home. They're like, wow, there's a house here, a light giving house in this neighborhood. We've got to be a light. Back in the 1960s, there was a, a man named Nikolai Kamra who was a thief in Russia. And there was tough sentences on thieves, but this is what he was. He was a thief. He got caught in a robbery, was given 10 years to serve in a Russian prison. Well, in 1966, Russia passed a law that said, if we find any Christian gatherings that are not sanctioned by the government, we will arrest those people on the spot. That was in 1966. So starting then, they begin to round up Christians and throw them into prison. Nikolai was in prison for robbery. His testimony was like this. There, just counting down the days of the decade to pass by. He said, this strange group of people came to the prison. Ripped from their homes and yet full of peace. Removed from society yet marked by unusual joy. He would say, the sounds of their worship would fill the prison at midnight. Nikolai, in a common time out of the cell, would go and find one of these men and say, who are you? We are the ones, this is what they said, we are the ones who have been saved who God showed to us how valuable we were to him. He says, we're all here in prison. How could we be valuable to God? The Christian in prison responded to Nikolai by saying, Nikolai, a man owned a gold ring. That ring was valuable to its owner. But that ring was stolen. He said, did the ring lose its value? He said, no. It only changed possessors. He said, this is true of all mankind. Man never lost his value in the eyes of God. He merely changed hands from one who possessed him in love to another who possessed him to die. Satan. And he said, Nikolai, you are valuable to God. Nikolai in prison would get gloriously born again. 
seeing that the Son of God had died for him. He would finish, and uh, there, uh, there was a growing hatred for the underground church because they were committed to uh, spreading the gospel. And the KGB was actually used to try to shut down the printing of those materials. But in order to find where the printed materials were, they would grab pastors. And what they would do is they would grab pastors, and in order to get them to talk, they would grab one of their most dearest members. Nikolai's pastor was grabbed. And so was Nikolai. And there, before his pastor, uh, uh, you know, the, the agents were threatening, Pastor, we want the names of those who are printing these materials. We want the names of the people in your congregation. They must be prosecuted. Or we will cut out Nikolai's eyes. And the pastor cried out, Nikolai, what should I do? He said, Pastor, stay faithful and true to Jesus. For my eyes have seen the most beautiful thing any eye on this earth could see. And that is the redemption of man by the love of God through Christ. They would then black out Nikolai's eyes. He said, Pastor, if you don't give up the names, we're going to cut out his tongue. He said, Nikolai, what should I do? And Nikolai let out this, this, this loud cry. He said, praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, now my tongue has given forth the greatest praise any man could ever give. He goes, he looked at the agents and said, if you would, you may cut out my tongue now. That day, Nikolai would die a martyr's death. Listen to me, church. Where is the church that could be such a light that the influence of Christ in those we touch would be undeterred even in the darkest of places. Where is the church that says, Jesus is so alive and real in me. I must shine in this dark place. Jesus gave a warning to the light as well. Remember, he said, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. He says, you're the light of the world. He says, but... The enemy, the darkness, is going to try to put a basket over you. And I, I believe that even in the church today, there's entanglements. There are baskets of fear. Maybe you're born again, but we've, we've embraced a basket of fear. I can't share Christ. I can't say anything. Man, people around me will be offended. I've got this basket of fear. I'm here to announce to you today, I believe the power of the Holy Spirit is moving in this last hour, and God is going to remove all kinds of baskets off of his body, and we're going to get rid of baskets of fear. How about this one? Baskets of shame. You ever hear that voice? I'm not good enough. 
I'm not good enough to talk about Christ. That's a basket of shame. I'm going to let it. Here's the secret. None of us are worthy. None of us are good enough. None of us. If it wasn't for the grace of God, we would not be born again. We wouldn't be saved. Oh, but aren't you thankful for the grace of God? So you can take that basket of shame and chuck it at the enemy. Those those dimming effects, listen to me, they're demonic. Church, you need to understand. You say, can the church be under the influence of of demonic stuff? You better believe it. This is what Jesus said. But Jesus has come today, listen, to set you free. He will set you free of this darkness. Matter of fact, you should know this. You can and will be delivered by Jesus Christ, the light. I heard this story about a, about a man who people were trying to win him to Christ. And this is what he was saying. And listen, if this is you, you need to hear this truth today. I, if you've ever said to yourself, I want to I wanna be a follower of Christ, but there's something that's stopping me. There seems to be something that's that just holding me up. Or something seems to be blocking me. I, I want to make that decision, but then I, I hear a voice or I, 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 something leads me another way. I want to tell you what that is. That's Satan. If you're that person and you say, I want to follow Christ, but I'm not, I'm not really going down that road. And you're, you're that person that says, man, uh, you know, I hear the voice. I'm not good enough. That's Satan talking to you. If you're driving down the road and it says, you know what? There's nothing worth living in this life. I need to just drive off into this telephone pole or drive off this bridge and end my life. Listen, that is the voice of Satan. And I have come as a light bearer to dispel the darkness and tell you the truth. You don't need to follow the one that is leading you to darkness, why don't you just say yes to the light and become who he has created you to be, his own son, his own daughter, the one dearly loved and transformed by his touch. Some believers in this place. You recently moved, got a new job, new people around you, and they tick you off. You thought your new season was going to be better. It's not better. It's darker. And you've questioned God. God, why'd you put me in this dark place? Well, God sent you a prophet today to tell you why. Here's why. Because it's a dark place. And there are people in a dark place on your job, in your school, who Jesus died for, and they need a light. And if the reason that they're not seeing the light is a basket of darkness woven by the enemy, today you're going to be set free and you're going to shine as a light in a dark place. And let me tell you, darkness has not a chance.